Wonderful to see you here this morning. Thanks for choosing to be a part of the Bendigo Church of Christ this morning. One or two, uh, just one last announcement. Uh, Faith runs deep. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, showed the launch video. Uh, last week, I uh, sent this round for a sign-up sheet. Uh, if you, uh, uh, there's a whole heap of names on the other page, but if you weren't here and you'd like to uh, come along, uh, it's going to commence on Monday, the 10th of October, seven o'clock. Starting with, not dinner, but dessert. Thank you, somebody remembered. We'll have half an hour of uh, fellowship together. Then we'll watch our DVD presentation. If you don't know Faith Runs Deep, it's about stories of everyday Australians and how they have connected in with faith uh, uh, through uh, Jesus Christ. So uh, lots of different stories from lots of different backgrounds, lots of history of how uh, uh, faith is uh, in the past and in the present uh, impacting people uh, here in Australia. So if you're interested in coming along to that, uh, there's about 40 or 50 names down here so far. Uh, so uh, looking forward to a good six-week event together. Uh, you can find that later on for yourself. Alrighty, are you ready to get into it today? It is the gospel. That is our series, and it's from the book of Acts. And we are at the halfway stage in our series. This is week 20, and we're going to be drawing this section to a close today. I'm going to go on two weeks holiday. Caitlin's going to fill the pulpit over the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to come back and get in to the second section of our series on the book of Acts. So today we're going to finish off what we began last week in chapter 10 of the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles there and you'd like to open to Acts 10, 36 to 48, we're going to unpack today in a message I've entitled, The Gospel is Go for the Gentiles. By way of context, if you weren't here last week, you might remember that God had synchronized two visions. One for Cornelius, a Gentile in Caesarea, while at the same time, 50 kilometers away, a vision went to Peter. And we remember that God was preparing the Gentiles to receive the gospel. And at the same time, he was preparing Peter to go and proclaim to the Gentiles. Remember Cornelius, we said, he was devout, but he wasn't yet a disciple. While Peter, he was born again, but he was a bigot. And so God had to overcome his prejudice. And what did he do? He gave him this vision of this blanket and all of these clean and unclean animals in there. And he told him, kill and eat. <gasps> But Peter discovered it was okay to eat pigs in a blanket. See what I did there? Welcome back, Jono. Welcome back. I'm still the same. I haven't changed. And so now he goes with the gospel to the Gentiles. And have a look at Acts 10 verse 33. 
We see how eager Cornelius was to hear the glories of the gospel when we read there. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So no preacher ever had a more eager audience. And so to that, we're going to go to today's video clip. We've been, uh, can we hold it, please? <laughs> We've been uh, in this uh, little bit of a video series and I think people have really been connecting in with it as we go actually on site to where these events that we read of in the scriptures have actually been taking place. Today we're going to hear from verse 36, the passage, and then I'll come back and finish the preaching. experience at Pentecost, these people from other nations, or what the New Testament often refers to as Gentiles, started speaking in other languages and praising God. Then Peter declared, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 10, 47 and 48. Peter spent a few days here in Caesarea as a guest in Cornelius' home. After that, he returned to Jerusalem and met with the church leaders there. After Peter had gotten back to Jerusalem and met with the church leaders, some of them started immediately to criticize him for having met and shared a meal with Gentiles, which had always been a no-no. So Peter decided to share his vision from God with them and how he had seen the Holy Spirit given to the Gentiles, just as the Holy Spirit had been given to the Jews. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Acts 11, 17 and 18. This was a huge step in the history of the Christian church. Salvation through Jesus was now clearly demonstrated to be for all people. All right. So Peter begins his sermon uh, explaining the gospel in verse 34. In verse 34 there, he says, Then Peter began to speak. That word speak, it means to announce, to uh, present, to proclaim, to preach and to teach the message of the gospel. It's the uh, Greek word kyrios, and it actually means to shout the news. So it has that expression of Eureka! We found it. We've opened up this hidden treasure that is found in God's Word. And to unlock that treasure today, I'm going to give you seven essential elements of the gospel. Seven. Yes, settle in. There's so much theological depth in this passage. It's really one of those ones where we could have seven individual sermons around the depth of what Peter uh, presents in terms of the gospel. But I'm going to squish it all in and just make it one. So beginning in verse 36, Peter opens up the treasure chest that's found in God's word when he shouts out, 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. All And so Peter, he actually goes all the way back to the beginning at the birth in Bethlehem when the angels' announcement to those sleepy shepherds in that silent night. In Luke 2, the message that they brought, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And so he begins with the most significant event in human history. That day that God stepped off of his throne in heaven, stepped across the stars and was born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary in that stable in Bethlehem. The angels announced that God incarnate had become flesh and was living amongst us. Because he came because there was a war going on. We don't often think of it like that, do we? There was a war going on between God and those of us who do wrong. A holy God couldn't live in the presence of an unholy people. And so this war was raging. Whether we acknowledged it or not, we were at war with God. And someone had to come to bring peace. And that's why God sent his one and only son into the world to bring us peace. And you know, the angels went and they announced. And that's been our role ever since, hasn't it? We are called to go with the gospel, to announce to people the good news of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, can be born in your heart today when you receive him as Savior and Lord. And when you proclaim Jesus is Lord, within you, you have peace. To say Jesus is Lord is to really acknowledge He is God, isn't it? Yeah? And if he's God, then he has everything in control. And if I know that God has everything in control, even though there's chaos all around, inside I know peace. I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one who holds the future. And that brings peace. Folks, circumstances might pile up in our lives. You might get discouraged. You might feel defeated from time to time. But the thing that we need to continue to say as the anthem by which we live is that Jesus Christ is my Lord. You know, if you feel anxious around life today, if you're afraid, if you're worried, if you're tired, the anthem is Jesus Christ is my Lord. And you know, the great thing about that is we quite often say to people, you know, you need to make Jesus Lord. And that's true. But the reality is, he's Lord whether people accept him or not. And the time is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And then we know those verses from Luke 2.13. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. I don't know when I speak to people if I say, do you think we could really have world peace? Probably not. 
But the reality is, we probably could if everyone would come to the Prince of Peace. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah came and declared that Jesus would be the Prince of Peace. And he came to bring peace to our lives. You know, in a modern world, uh, peace is pretty easily shattered, isn't it? You know, suddenly there's that emergency phone call or there's that health scare, there's that financial crisis, there's that war that's going on over there. But God's peace is secured in Christ. It's not external. So often we feel at peace if everything's all right externally in our little world. But the peace that God comes to bring is internal not governed by external circumstances. Peace is not the absence of problems. I don't know anybody who doesn't have any problems, but it's actually having that serenity through your problems that God as Lord is in control. And God wants you to have that peace so much. He talks about peace 400 times in the scriptures. Now, sometimes we talk about making our peace with God. Have you heard that? You need to make your peace with God. Well, actually, we're incapable of making our peace with God because we don't actually have the terms to bargain or to offer God something. So the only way that we can be at peace with God, the only way we can do is to find peace, is to actually accept the terms of the peace treaty that God has made with us through Jesus offering his life on the cross. In Colossians 1 verse 20, it says, Jesus made peace. The word made, to make something, you've got to manufacture it, don't you? Yeah? It's actually made peace right there. He manufactured peace on the cross of Calvary. So from the cradle to the cross, the good news that we continue to proclaim for people is that even though your life is stuffed up, can I say that? I just did. You can still know this inner peace that passes all understanding. The good news of the gospel is, I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one who holds the future. The good news is the war is over. You can sign the peace treaty today by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. So that's the first two essential elements in proclaiming the good news. They are to assert the gospel brings peace and to acknowledge Jesus is Lord. And the third thing in proclaiming the gospel is we need to absorb all Jesus did and said. That's the third thing this morning. Give you a, a moment, you note takers, and write those down. Can we get the third one up or no? There you go. Thanks very much. Verse 37, Peter proclaims, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. Remember John's baptism? Do you remember that? Yeah? I'm going to baptise you for repentance, but somebody else is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He's going to baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what he's talking about there. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So what Peter was doing was he was He was reflecting on what he had witnessed with Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came to Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, and I always imagine the voice of God. I always think of him uh, like, uh, you know, a big lion, you know, that, that voice of authority, you know, like a, like a megaphone voice. This is my son. Ah, would have been better than that, wouldn't it? In whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Isn't that beautiful words? Yeah. This is my son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased pleased. God spoke verbally there to announce that God the Father was endorsing Jesus, his son, for ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. What do we call that? The Trinity. And so it's at that moment of affirmation. Remember from about the age of 12, we don't know really much about Jesus, do we? Yeah. And then suddenly at the age of 30, he steps back onto the stage in order to be declared the saviour of the world. What happened to him in those silent years? Some people might question, was he really sinless? Was he really able now to pay the price for our sins on the cross? Remember the dove is a symbol of purity. So it's a testimony to the purity of those days where Jesus is being endorsed by the Father to be the sufficient Saviour. Those words, though, addressed directly to Jesus. They're words of assurance, they're words of security, they're words of recognition. You know, psychologists tell us that if you don't know who you are or where you come from, you have no confidence in life. You don't know the direction you're supposed to be heading. You have identity struggles but if you're a child of God today you need to hear him speak into your life if you've ever been in that position at all you are my child whom I love you've got to take that personally God loves you that's what gives us that sense of security right there isn't it You know, when I know God's love, when I've got that inner peace, when I realise what God has done through the the good news of his son, suddenly it fills me with purpose and power to keep going forward in my faith. But you know, the other thing it does, it reminds me of a parent to tell my kids I love them. We've got to keep telling our kids, don't we? We love them. We love them just as a a father and mother loves. So Jesus, he was baptised in the Holy Spirit. He was open then to be a witness. People saw him do demonstrations of power to overcome evil everywhere he went. He went around destroying the works of the devil in order to win this war. And today, sometimes we, ah, that was Jesus. He was God. 
Yeah, but he was also 100% man and 100% God. And so he had to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same power is available to you and I today to overcome anything that's trying to defeat us in our lives. We've got that power of the Spirit to be a bondage breaker. We've got that, that power, if we feel lost along life's journey, to be a way maker. If you feel pain in your life, he can be a pain taker. That's the good news, isn't it? This is a supernatural thing that has happened, that God loves us so much, he's invested power within us, and he really just wants you to know Whatever's going on, everything's going to be okay. So the fourth essential element of the gospel then is to agree Jesus died on a tree. And it's so briefly stated, you know, in verse 39, it's as if Peter doesn't really want to dwell on it too much. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Jesus was killed in the most shameful means possible. Caesaro, a Roman orator, he said this, The cross is so terrible that it should not be mentioned in polite company. But it was by this means that they killed this man who was only going around doing good, the scripture says. So understand by the very nature of God, it implies life, yeah? But here we understand that the Bible says in order for us to have new life, death is the final enemy that needed to be defeated. And while Peter, he goes on to uh, number five in our series very quickly uh, this morning, elsewhere he makes one of the most powerful statements regarding the significance of our Saviour's sacrifice. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. To bore it means to be crushed under the weight of an immense burden. When you think about Jesus on the cross, there are a few visible signs of his suffering, aren't there? The crown of thorns pressed into his scalp. The hands and the feet that were nailed to the cross. The back that would have been ripped open and the blood running down onto the ground. The pain of asphyxiation as he struggled to get a breath. But there was also some invisible suffering that was going on. As every sin that you have committed was laid on him, the perfect saviour now felt the guilt and the agony and the shame of all of our sin. He bore it for us. And it says there, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He died in our place. It's a substitutionary death. And so by his wounds, we have been healed. So without uh, sin, he wouldn't have had to die. So someone without sin had to come and pay the price for sin that we with sin could never pay. He substituted himself in our place. So we never take the cost of salvation lightly. You know, whenever someone dies, uh, we like to have a death certificate. 
and the cause of death. The cause of Christ's death was not crucifixion. It was not uh, death by Roman execution. It's a lot more personal than that, isn't it? The cause of death was my sin. My sin that he bore on himself was the thing that crushed him and caused his whole system to break down. But that's not the end of the story. I imagine Peter's countenance now changes as he shouts out verse 40, But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And of course, Peter would later write, Through him you believe in God. Remember, no one comes to the Father except through the Son. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So the gospel is believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. If you don't believe that, your faith is dead and you actually live a hopeless life. So it's not enough to simply uh, believe that there is a God. Saving faith is actually believing that God literally raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So why doesn't it say, if you believe in a creator God, you'll be saved? Why doesn't it say, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you will be saved? Because the resurrection is at the heart and core of Christianity. It's what sets all other religions apart. It is the key that unlocks the treasure to eternal life and your own bodily resurrection on that great and final day. The Apostle Paul would later write in... Uh, uh, Corinthians uh, 15, 3 to 8. He's writing to Greeks who actually believe that the human body is a prison, that death is a release from bondage. And he writes this, For what I have received I pass on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So exhibit A of the proof of the resurrection is the amount of terrific textual evidence we have in the scriptures. Exhibit B, the empty tomb. But the thing that really seals it is Exhibit 3, the overwhelming evidence of the testimonies of eyewitnesses. Jesus appeared to 515 different people. Uh, yeah, different people. Over a 12 different uh, uh, incidences that happened over a 40-day period. The proof was immense. And those who saw him after the empty tomb. They were so committed in uh, their lives uh, to uh, what Jesus had done that they were willing to take the pain and the persecution. They were willing to die for their faith because they believed they had seen Jesus with their own eyes. 
He appeared to a woman in a cemetery. He appeared to two men on the Emmaus Road. He appeared to uh, the disciples when they were out uh, fishing. He appeared to them as he walked through the door and began to eat with them in uh, fellowship in the upper room. He appeared to some who were believers and some who were doubters. Uh, Several saw him alone and others saw him in groups. And of course, the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the witness that we're sitting in this room today declaring he is Lord and Saviour of our lives today. So the fifth essential element to proclaiming the gospel, affirm that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then at number six, admit judgment is just. Admit God's judgment is just. Acts 10.42, he commanded us to preach to the people. That's uh, called the Great Commission Church. And the whole idea is that if we don't go and we don't tell people the gospel, then God's judgment isn't very just to them, is it? So we've got to roll in this justice. And to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So we proclaim that Jesus is alive and he is available to be Lord to everyone. So then a big part of proclaiming the gospel is the second coming, isn't it? Yes, we remember that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he died on the cross. Three days later, he rose. He walked the earth for 40 days and then he ascended to heaven and he is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. What does that mean? It means there's going to be two judgments. Christians will be raised to reward spiritually, but those who aren't Christians will be raised to regret from John's uh, revelation in chapter 20 verse 11 he says then I saw a great throne and him who was seated on it earth and sky fled from his uh, presence and there was no place for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and the books were open notice there's books there's more than one book dead of course here doesn't mean physically dead Necros is the, is the Greek word for physical death. The word that's used here is thanatos, and it means spiritually dead. It means unsaved people. But another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. But anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. So I want you to understand, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are not going to line up in this line heading towards the great white throne because you are not dead, you are spiritually alive in Christ because you have received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. So it's going to be unbelievers that are going to be in this line And that's why it's so important for us to continue to tell people the good news. That you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. That if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you can confess your sins and receive that salvation so that you don't have to wait in this line. The reason that we won't be in the line is because we have settled our case. This war that was going on, this battle... We've settled our case with Christ out of court. And we've got to encourage people to do that. 
for themselves before it's too late. That's what makes God's judgment just, isn't it? How many of us know people who say, well, you know, if this God is a God of love, why does he send people to hell? And of course, they're the same people who uh, want to make their own choices in life, aren't they? They don't want God telling them what to do. So God has given them free will to make that choice. When we tell people the gospel, then suddenly God's judgment is just. And God doesn't send anyone to anywhere that they don't want to go. But they have to make that decision first. It's our responsibility to help them to choose. But just in case you're wondering, well, where are we going to be? There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we all must appear, that's all Christians, before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And we, bad, and we know that to be, in the Greek, this judgment seat is a place called the Bema. Yeah? So it's not before God and the great white throne. It's this idea the beamer is a stage. It's a platform. It's a place where a judge would sit and watch competitors and then at the end would reward them for their competition. You get the picture? Jesus is going to be there at the beamer. Yeah? You've settled your case out of court with him before you left planet Earth. When he comes to judge the living and the dead spiritually, yeah, he's going to say your name. You're going to hear Jesus say your name. And the reward goes to, and you're going to come forward and you're going to receive that reward. Then finally, the seventh essential element. We need to proclaim the gospel is to accept Christ forgives sins. Verse 43, Peter proclaims, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's only forgiveness through the name of Christ. The order here, I think, is important. If we don't believe in this coming judgment, then we won't be interested in coming to Jesus. But the good news, the good news is for everyone. You think about that. For everyone. It means you can never have wandered so far away. It means you can never have done such a horrific thing that you don't think that you could ever be forgiven. You know, I know sometimes within our own broken nature, it's quite hard to forgive ourselves sometimes, isn't it? You know? <laughs> but you are my child whom I love. They're the words that need to keep echoing in your spirit when you think about that. Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, In Christ we have redemption. To be redeemed, it means I am released from the old way of life. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, sins here in this uh, way, it means that the stumblings. Yeah, When you're born, you're stumbling through life in the wrong direction. But when you actually receive Jesus, the gospel, you actually start to head your life in the right direction. You are forgiven and your sins are dismissed. Dismissed. How could Jesus be able to dismiss sins? Through his blood. All the scriptures say, don't they? Without the forgiveness, uh, without the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
that shameful event on that cross. Do you ever look at that cross sometimes and imagine your saviour and the pain and the suffering and the blood that was shed for you, for my sins? The whole idea of a bloody saviour isn't very appealing to a lot of people, is it? They see it as a, as a mark of defeat, whereas we know it as the mark, the ultimate mark of victory. A perfect, sinless God came yeah, to be able to die on the cross for our sins. How did it all happen? We know it happened because Jesus was born into the world, conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So he hasn't got blood that's tainted with sin. Even though he was tempted in every way, he still, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to be pure and make the ultimate sacrifice for us. Christianity tells us that the good news is that you are not forgiven by what you do. It's what Jesus has done for you. So you're either going to face judge, Jesus, or you're going to face him as your justifier. People are either going to be condemned of their sins or they're going to be commended for receiving him as saviour and being forgiven. People will either end up in one of two places. We know them as heaven or hell. Now, as a preacher, uh, Peter, no doubt, is getting ready for the application and the invitation, but suddenly the sermon is unexpectedly interrupted by the Holy Spirit himself. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Wouldn't that be awesome this morning? Shut that guy up the front there and whoosh! Hey! So Cornelius and his house, they get these seven essential elements, yeah? And there's no confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. There's none of that sort of stuff going on. God just knows what's in these people. He knows that they are cherry ripe for the gospel. And suddenly, no more preaching. There's power that's released. The circumcised believers, who uh, really aren't believers at all, understand who had come from Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. See what I mean about their unbelief? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So worship was the only way to go, yeah? The preaching needed to be stopped so that the praising of God could take place. And then later on, Acts, uh, six, uh, Acts 11 verse uh, 16, Peter uh, remembers what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's a baptism that's more important than water baptism, although water baptism is pretty important. And that's being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, water baptism, it's all about the symbolic cleansing of the body. But spirit baptism, spirit baptism is what baptizes your soul. It's actually what then is enabling. Remember, before you become a Christian, your spirit within you is, is dormant since the fall. And so it's your spirit being born again. 
so that you can live a holy life. It's called the Holy Spirit. And if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, then you will live a holy life. It's what sets us apart. It's how we know that people are living holy lives. And then to verses 47 and 48. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered... Can you imagine if I started ordering people around? Got the baptism full and you and you and you. Really struck me that word. Ordered. He ordered. I strongly suggest that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here's the interesting thing. I've been wrestling with this a little bit. If you believe... Baptism in water is the next obvious step of your obedience to Jesus as Lord. And yet, Jesus cannot be your saviour if you're not obedient to him as Lord. We've got to make sure that we're not resisting what the Spirit wants to do. And then finally, verse 48 then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. It sounds like he's just signing off, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, that's a good way to finish. What am I going to say now? Spirit's broken in, ruined my message. It's easy to miss the significance here. Peter was willing to linger longer so that these people could learn more about the Lord. It's an important lesson for us, isn't it? We're talking about going with the gospel and that's great and we call that evangelism. But it's so important to stop and stay and plant ourselves with people and that's called discipleship so that they can grow. So let's recap the uh, seven essentials. We need to assert the gospel brings peace. We need to acknowledge Jesus is Lord. We need to absorb all Jesus did and said. We need to agree Jesus died on the cross more true <laughs> affirm that jesus was raised admit god's judgment is just and we need to accept christ's forgiveness for sins let me ask you this do you feel that you understand the gospel better today do you understand what jesus has done for you and do you understand how you can respond to him to make him lord and savior of your life do you understand that you can be forgiven of whatever you have done? And do you understand that you can know an internal peace that cannot be taken away by the chaos of the world? Have you had your Holy Spirit moment? Have you been obedient to the waters of baptism? Do you know through the information you've received this morning how to share the gospel with others that they might not end up on that line before the great white throne but to make their decision for Jesus today and receive rewards. Are you helping other people to grow in their faith or are you just focused on your own? Let's pray. Why don't you stand? Almighty God, we thank you again for your word. Father God, I thank you 
that by your spirit you hold us in a place where we can continue to know the depth of your forgiveness, the depth of the peace that you came to manufacture for us on the cross. And I thank you, Lord God, today that each person who has received Jesus as Lord and Saviour can know those words spoken to them. You are my child and I love you. And I believe God wants you to receive that personally this morning. God, help us to walk in that love. Help us to talk that love. And God, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here in this house who maybe, uh, Lord, they've uh, thinking that you're going to save them, but they're not interested in making you Lord. God, I pray that this would be the wake-up call for them. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be obedient. And God, I pray this morning for anyone here who maybe hasn't made that decision. And it's a decision that you can make this morning just simply by accepting that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. By believing that he died on the cross and rose again to forgive you of everything you've done wrong. To just simply say to God, I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe in my heart that God was raised from the dead. And invite Jesus to be Lord of your life today. And you've become his child. And I pray, Father, this morning, I pray that every single person in this place would have the confidence to go out and simply be able to share that gospel good news with others. God, help us not to be afraid. I know, Father God, that one of the main reasons that we don't share our faith is because we're afraid. Help us to rise up in that Holy Spirit power that you've placed within each one of us. And give us the confidence we need in the time that we need it to be able to share our faith. Because we know that uh, in these end times, the day is coming closer. And we know, Lord God, that you want your judgment on all people to be just. So God, help us to go out today. Help us to go out today baptised in that Holy Spirit power. Lord God, I pray that you would touch your people this morning. Lord God, that you would fire them up as Jesus promised. And that, Lord, we would be strong disciples declaring good news through the way that we live. In Jesus' name. Everyone says, Amen. Amen.